Hello, and welcome to a special presentation of Harper Audio Presents, recorded at the American Booksellers Association's Winter Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Winter Institute is a gathering of independent booksellers, publishers, and authors. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is... Jamie Harrison, The Widow Nash. Jamie Harrison has lived in Montana with her family for almost 30 years. She's worked as a caterer, writer, and also as a technical editor for archaeological, botanical, and biological reports. She is the daughter of Jim Harrison and the author of The Widow Nash. It's a book about reinvention. It's a book about a woman who disappears from a train in 1905 into the Rocky Mountains. Uh, So it's about why she runs, how she runs, and how she tries to remake her life under a different identity. And it's about how any of us can sort of try to do that, right? Right. It does sort of explore that, all our reasons. What, what makes somebody bolt? Is it cowardice or is it maybe a form of bravery? Yeah, is it a form of courage? Right. In addition to that, I, I want to know, why was it important for you to set it in the early 1900s? Uh, because I think I find it sort of a similar time to what we're in now. Interesting. Um, Tell me why that is. Well, socioeconomically, probably a time of great change, um, mm-hmm. a time of great unfairness, but mostly because it was a time of flux. It was before the war. It's always interested me. It's an interesting, it was an interesting time in the um, town that I set the action in. Um, I think people underestimate the sophistication of the West in that period. Yeah, so tell, yeah, and, 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 and you know this How? I know this how uh, because I've lived in Livingston, Montana for 30 years. I've lived in other places, too. I lived in New York. I grew up in Michigan. It's really, I think people consistently underrate how much people traveled, how much they knew, how interested they were in the world, how varied their sources were. Um, And in Livingston, especially in that part of the West, I did a documentary, worked on a documentary for a year on the town of Butte, Mm-hmm. which at that time had um, about 100,000 people wow. from about 50 nations. It had 20 different language newspapers. It had Syrians, it had blacks, it had Chinese, and nobody wore cowboy hats. And yeah. it always sort of maddened me that we type the West as sort of a hick place. Or it, or just sort of a, a very primal place, if nothing else, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. A, a sort of very... the motivations are, are limited. And we give those people very limited motivation, and it's usually survival, right? Right. First right. and foremost. First and foremost, but reinvention, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was one of the biggest ports in America. There's not a huge difference when you read accounts of people who arrived in Butte and people who arrived in New York. Oh, that is, I must say, you're right. I, hadn't, I, yeah. I never so, stopped to appreciate that. Well, there's no reason. You know, Butte now is a ruined place. Um, and it's sort of, uh, I think the other thing that's interesting about growing up in the West or, or work, living in the West is that it really was treated as a third world country. It was treated as a colony. Mm-hmm. Things were pulled out of it and yeah, things you'd... were dumped into it. Right. So all the money went East right. or West. So. so tell us about your heroine and, and her story. Um, Dulcie Remfrey has grown up, um, she's the daughter of a mining engineer a Cornish uh, orphan who traveled all through the world, all through the West, um, through California, through Mexico, Nicaragua. Um, 
and he's an idiosyncratic man. He um, is fascinated with earthquakes. He makes money on the way, but he hauls her along on his travels, and she's really been all over the place. Um, he's off. also uh, suffers from syphilis, so part of every trip to Italy, to Mexico, wherever, ends up in a spa where he is attempting a cure. And uh, it's probably a difficult childhood, but she's enjoyed it. Um, the problem is that he's now losing his mind, and he loses the proceeds from the sale of an African mine. Um, a lot of money. He doesn't essentially know where it is or he's not telling. And his partner, who's her former fiancé, would like to find the money. Um, <laughs> As most fiancés It's a problem, do. yeah. Um, and... Uh, and he dies. He dies. Her father um, dies. Her yeah. father dies fairly dramatically. And um, Dulce taking his body back east, knowing that this fiance is going to follow her and knowing that this is never going to end, gets off the train and disappears and remakes herself as a person named Maria Nash, who is a widow, mostly because she would like to be independent. And at that time, however, However realistic we are about people's lives, it's very hard to live as a single woman with any degree of anonymity and any degree of freedom. Yeah. So off she goes. Off she goes to varying degrees of success in this yes. goal. Yes, And therein yes. lies the tale. Yeah. Yes. It's as much a story of the West as it is sort of a travelogue of other places because you take us other places. Um, I lived vicariously while writing this. Yeah, so, yes. tell us, tell, so tell us about that and how we will re- live vicariously when we read The Widow Nash. I don't know. Um, I hope it's interesting, and it was interesting to me. I mean, the places you could go, the things that were happening. I um, So give us a, one or two examples of sort of what Oh, we, God, earthquakes all over the world. Just strange. It's hard. Um, I have her traveling from London um, down through Lisbon, down to Cape Town in South Africa. Um, It was fun to do the research for something like that, and it was great to try to imagine what those cities looked at at that time, what the air was like by the time she got down to Africa. Right. Um, What what, What do you mean by that? Well, if you're writing in Montana in the middle of winter... I don't know. I just <laughs> I have no idea why I did it. I'd just look at a map and I'd come up with something. But when you when you said what the air were you re, were you really thinking the air? Were you really just saying that sort of more metaphorically? No, literally what yeah, the air what was like, what like? things smelled like, what it would you feel know, like, yeah. what it was like, what it looked like then. Yeah. So you do a certain amount of research, and you you weren't able to physically travel to all these places. No, correct? I wasn't. So you you do your research, you write your index cards, and then you just close your eyes and imagine. Close my eyes. Actually, what I did is I papered my office with images. Okay. And some of them are in the book. Um, lots of you know maps, odd and often just sort of evocative images. It could be a photograph of a man and a woman in 1900. Just something, it could be a picture of a street with everybody facing in the other direction. It was just something to give me a lifting off point. And was there also a window in your study? Where did the window look? What did the window look out on? It looked out on some aspen trees and at this time of year, dirty snow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Now, you you come from a family of writers, so, or your father. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that. Um. Well, yeah, my father's the writer, Jim Harrison. Um, I grew up in a variety of places, 
you know, Boston, New York, and then Northern Michigan. Um, I didn't grow up thinking that anybody should ever be a writer. Yeah. It's not a great way to make a living. I mean, father didn't even begin to be successful until I was in college. Um, and he also really felt a calling. Um, I grew up certainly reading exhaustively. One interesting thing Roxanne Gay talked about was just bookstores as refuge. And when you're that kind of kid, all you do is read. And we could always, we had no money, but we could spend it on books. Books, food, wine. Books, food, wine. I like those priorities. Right. That was basically it. Um, uh, and I, you know, I got an English degree at the University of Michigan. I did all that. I worked in food for a while. I worked, I worked as an editor for a while. And I was running a place called Clark City Press in Livingston, um, which had some success. But when it went out of business, I needed to find a way to stay there. And there really were not many jobs. And so I wrote a mystery. I wrote four mysteries about 20 years ago, and uh, worked for a while, and then I got tired of it, and I worked in editing again. I wrote screenplays. I and it, you just, it suited you. You were talented at it. it. The success found you, and after the hard work, and now, so how does it, how does it suit you? I mean, how, when people say, what do you do? Uh, you're at a cocktail party. You're holding a glass, and nobody knows you. What is your answer? Now my answer is, I've written another book. I work as a technical editor, too. So I work as an editor, and I write in between. Um, in my day job, I read archaeological reviews, and I read biological constraints reviews and stuff like that. It is, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good <laughs> to, to go daydream yeah. in yeah, the exactly. evening and in the morning early. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'm asking everyone sort of a variant on the Proust questionnaire where okay. I'm like, you play the game with the fortune cookie where you add in bed at the end. Uh -huh. I'm going to do the questions and I'm going to add as a writer. Okay. What is your most character, what is your most marked characteristic as a writer? Oh my God. A tendency to make things too complex. Hmm. What is your principal defect as a writer? Ah, maybe that's <laughs> the tendency well, to make go, things too complex. <laughs> Sorry. So what you're saying is the thing that you do most, um, you consider a defect. I'm sorry. Let no, me take, okay. Let's come back to that. Yeah, fine. We? Okay. Um, what are your favorite names as a writer? I love to get out the phone book and I will go through it. As a names, you mean for other yeah. writers? Or your, 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 the characters you invent, the characters that you read, and where do you find a phone book in this day and age? Do you have you saved old ones? I keep ones? an old one, yeah. yeah. And, and do actually, you keep an old one for that purpose? I do, and I'll look in an old city directory for this book, say, 1905. Yeah, you want yeah, names Yeah, just go to are, an old city directory. There's amazing, it just reminds you of things. Sort I will of, yeah. look online at the most popular names. Right. And you'll see a thousand strange names. Yeah, that's interesting. Mostly immigrant names. Uh-huh. What natural gift would you most like to possess as a writer? The ability to be able to drop in and drop out of a complex world and not forget half of it in the course of a day. So in other words, you'd like to be 20 years younger yes, as a writer. Yes, thanks. <laughs> With fewer distractions, <laughs> yes. yes. When and where are you most happiest as a writer? When I'm in my head and it's flowing and yeah. I've got music on in the background and I've forgotten everything else. Yeah, when yeah. you're in that state of flow. What do you consider your greatest achievement as a writer? I loved writing this book. I enjoyed writing this book, and I think it works. 
It I does really, work. I liked it. I like it too. Oh, good. <laughs> good. What's your motto as a writer? Plunge on regardless. Oh, that's so good. Do you can have like we gotta get bumper stickers. Plunge <laughs> on regardless. We can get uh, plungers, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you just uh, you have to be fearless, right? You have to be fearless. You'll have to be patient. It's okay to put something away when it's not working. It's always easier to change it later. Editing always makes something better. Almost always makes something better. Who are your trusted readers? Who do you give your pages to first? Uh, my husband. I have a couple of good friends. There's a lot of writers in Livingston. Um, Marianne Vollers read this. Um, my father used to read it. My mother used to read it. Um, they both died in the last year. Um, Sorry. Just good friends who read books. Yeah. You know, um, one woman I know who's, I've never been in a reading group, but this yeah, that, woman's I'm in two curious. of them. Uh-huh. She's a former librarian. She's good. Mm-hmm. Um, nasty people, you know, people yeah, you who will people- really kind of rip you. Um, I think it's interesting to me. I have, we all know people who sit down and they say they're going to write a book, and many people can just write a book in a month and have it be beautiful. This does happen, but by and large, everybody needs to be edited. And so much of my mind is still set in the days that I edited. You got to lose your ego that way. You have to have a lot of ego, but you have to lose it. Yeah, you have to kill your babies, right? Yeah, exactly. Your darlings. Yeah. All right. So, do you have um, an independent bookstore that, or a story around an independent bookstore that's been influential to you and and has helped you in your pursuit? Well, my whole childhood was spent going into Horizon Books in Traverse City, Michigan. Um, any I, money I had went to you know Black Stallion Books first, and then everything else afterwards. Um, when I lived in New York. Uh, my roommate worked at the Strand, and oh. I would say I spent most of my money at the Strand. We tried to write a, uh, we were going to write a bodice ripper set in the 16th century in Florence. We spent all our money learning about shipping in and out of, you know, Europe and never <laughs> finished the book. Um, but maybe that came, maybe you utilized oh, some yeah. of that. It all, it all so it some all of it, works. I used it. Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, 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 it comes around, used. right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. But yeah, that that makes complete sense to me that you would spend all your money on right. learning shipping right. and well, and in Ann Arbor, um, when I went to school, it was right when Borders, the first Borders, was there. It was the original Borders. Oh, right. I is. still have books that I have not read that I bought that you bought it from Borders at say, that time, junior year. Yeah, and I moved them from place to place. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. In, as much as you, because my mother, when I was going to college, said, now books are very heavy, mm-hmm. so just be careful. And I'm like, really? This, this is your advice? <laughs> <laughs> it's good advice, but I ignore it. Like, yeah, boy. Yeah. It was that, and it was beer will make you fat. Right. Don't, you know, so don't yeah, drink yeah. too much beer. Not because she was concerned that I would get drunk too often, but that I might get fat. Ah. Yeah, wine is my problem. And yes, no, traveling. I remember um, 20 years ago, I was in Dublin. I have a compulsion. If I'm in a city, I go to a bookstore and I buy books. It's not something you should do when you're traveling, especially in a country with lots of bookstores. Seriously, it is counterintuitive. But I think everyone who's here this weekend Mm -hmm. has the exact same compulsion. We get off the plane or off the bus or the car and we we go to the indie bookstore. Yeah, we do. Yes, and I can't we, wait. I, you can't wait. And then wait. the wine store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and nowadays, more and more are are being able to offer us both, which is great. It's well, how I, it should be. I think it's great too. 
All right, is there anything else that that you would like to add? No, because my mind has gone blank. Um, You know, I did really enjoy writing it, and I had to put it down and pick it up, and some of it is based on a family. I started writing this because I was going to do a nonfiction book. Oh. um, About... My father wrote a book called Legends of the Fall with William Ludlow in it. He was my great-great-grandfather, and he left behind some notebooks. And this was sort of the beginning of the character of Walton in my head because um, about 10 years ago, my son was doing a um, report in school, and I said, why don't you write about Ludlow? He measured the falls of Yellowstone. Yep. You know, this is somebody you're actually related to. This yeah. is a big deal. <laughs> we grew know, up we with his expedition into the Black Hills book. And he started this... Nobody had really looked into this since the days of Google, right? And I found his birth date in Cornwall and this and that. And I started thinking, so how did a Cornish orphan go to West Point? Well, he didn't. There was an Alfred, you know, a a William E. Ludlow and a William A. Ludlow. They were born virtually in the same year. One went to West Point and one went into the Black Hills. And one was my great-great-grandfather who took a boat from Cornwall to Nicaragua, mined in Chile, came up through um, the west. Probably Ludlow, Colorado was named after him, where the mining massacre was, and just traveled all over the place. And he had two daughters, and one of them was my great-grandmother. I had a photo of her on a horse in Idaho. They went all over the place. And she went on to have a very unhappy marriage. I never knew her, but, you know, she married a wealthy banker and they'd sit at either end of the table on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and never talk to each other. They talked through the Finnish maid. And it seemed like a shame that she hadn't gotten off the train. Right, yeah. So that was the idea. That was it. It was like, what if she had... That was my, yeah. She had the nerve and the opportunity. I never told my father that Ludlow was not Ludlow. Oh, that's interesting. I told my mother. And her reaction? we didn't tell my father... She thought it was very funny, and it was just as interesting. And why were you cons- what do you, you thought your father wouldn't take it so well? Um, he, well, he was in a lot of pain toward yeah. the end of his life. Yeah. He had a hard time, and there was just no point. I kind of kept waiting, and it didn't get better, and so I didn't. Um, yeah. I just didn't. And when I thought of doing a nonfiction book, what I wanted to do is do a book about both of them mm-hmm. and just talk about the world of that time. And so did you even start it, or did you just keep I kind thinking of about did. it? I kind of did, but I realized that to get funding, I hadn't had a book published within the last 10 years or whatever the limit was for a national endowment grant or for anything. And so I just I just started, I also have a compulsion to tell stories, so yeah. I just started going with the vision of a woman getting off a train. That's what, that's what started right. it. Yeah, that's what started it. So anyway... It's a wonderful book. Thank you so very much. Well, thanks for reading it. I appreciate your talking to us. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. All of the books you've heard mentioned here are available at your independent bookstore. And if you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents.